This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. I'll answer your second question just a little bit. So the next, the last part here, the fourth part of the Ashhadu comes from the root word which means to be present. Shahida means to be present. Now we know that Ashhadu means I bear witness, I give testimony. Because somebody who gives testimony was either present at the scene of the crime, either they witnessed the act, or they're like an expert witness. They present themselves in court to give their testimony, offer their expert testimony. Alright? Similarly, a shaheed, a martyr is called a shaheed from the same root because he presents himself for the ultimate sacrifice. Alright? So, ashhadu, I bear witness, I give testimony. And, now, and in the Arabic language means that. But not that like you point at something, that. That value, that value of kitab. And means that as a sentence connected. Let me give you an example. If I tell you, I was thinking, Sentence. I should go to class. Sentence. If I want to connect these two sentences together, what do I put in the middle? That I was thinking that I should go to class. That's what I means. I means a sentence. So I bear witness. I give testimony. Sentence. But no, it connects. So I bear witness. I give testimony that la. This is a special law again. It's absolutely no. Ilaha, someone or something that is worthy of worship. Illa, illa is hafid istifna. Illa is a word that's used for making an exception to something. The next word is Allah. Of course, it's the word Allah, we'll talk about it in a lot of detail. So I bear witness, I give testimony that there is no one, that there is nothing worthy of worship except for Allah. Wa ashhadu, and I bear witness. Anna. Now the word Anna here is also a sentence connector. It's also a sentence connector. It also means that. Alright? Let me ask you a simple question though. Which one sounds stronger? An or Anna? Anna. If it sounds stronger, it is stronger. An means that sentence connector. Anna means that sentence connector, but that most definitely. It has extra emphasis. Alright? I bear witness, I give testimony, Anna, that most definite, Muhammadan. Muhammadan. Of course, this is the given name of the Prophet. I'll talk to you more about the name of the Prophet in the next portion. When we do the salawat, I'll explain it to you then. Nevertheless, you know it's at the, that it's the name of the Messenger. But it's something that people have a lot of difficulty coming to terms with. 
Like people find it delusive, people find it restricted, people find it overwhelming. But being a slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the greatest honor. And it's when we realize our true purpose in life, the dynamic of our relationship. Allah is the master, we are the slave. Right? And the Prophet lived a life of being a slave of Allah. And in this is the honor and the dignity of a human being. So the Prophet on the greatest day of his life, on the most glorious day of his life, of his prophethood, which anybody can tell me what that day was? Fatimakkah. Fatimakkah. Because the people that had tortured, had harassed, had ridiculed, had mocked, had rejected him, for 20 years, the Prophet had not had the upper hand. He was regaining control of the Kaaba of Allah. So it was, it was the most glorious day from the life of the Messenger So the Prophet of Allah said, but when he entered into Mecca, if you look throughout the volumes of human history, any leader, any conqueror who has ever entered into a city or a town that's conquered, the people, just read about how they enter. At the head of the army, riding a big, huge, beautiful horse, rose petals being thrown, trumpets being blown, people singing and dancing, celebrating him. But the Prophet of Allah when he entered into Makkah, there was none of this. The hadith tells us he was traveling at the back of the army. Everybody was quiet and somber. The Prophet instructed everyone to engage in victory, remembrance of Allah. The Prophet of Allah himself, he was remembering Allah subhanahu wa praising Allah and giving full credit to Allah subhanahu wa for providing the situation. La ilaha illallah wahda. Sadaqallah. That there's no one worthy of worship but Allah alone. He fulfilled this promise. Wa nasara And he helped his slave. At that most glorious moment, he did not call himself a prophet, he did not call himself a messenger, he called himself slave. Slave of Allah. So it's a very, very valuable lesson. So the, to say that the messenger of Allah was the, was the slave of Allah is a very powerful speech and reminds us of how we need to live our lives. Wa Rasulu and his messenger. Rasul, messenger. Now let's talk about the root of the word Rasul. Rasul comes from the root word which means to send a message. Risala is a message. But in modern Arabic, it just means any message, like a letter. In classical Arabic, it doesn't just mean to simply send a message, like a letter. In classical Arabic, it means to send a message from a higher authority. In classical Arabic, it means to send a message from a higher authority. So, a Rasul wasn't like a mailman. Like even in classical times, just the word, the understanding of the word, wasn't that Rasul is a mailman, somebody just brings you a message. A courier, none of them. Rasul was the one, the messenger of the king. So you know the guy who would come to the town square, the city, the, the, the center of the town, and he would open the scroll and read the proclamation of the king? That man was called Rasul. Because he's bringing a message from the king. That's why the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and other prophets and messengers are called Rasul. Because they bring the message from the ultimate authority, the highest of authorities, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, I bear witness, I give testimony that Muhammad is, that was definitely Muhammad is, his slave and his messenger. May Allah study Allah's messenger. Now let me point out a few interesting things here. Alright? The first one is, is there any repetition here in this part? Yeah. 
I should have a board, I should have a pizza tub. If I was to tell you that the second Ashadu is not necessary, and if I'm even going to see a version of the Tashabud where the second Ashadu is not provided, so the second Ashadu is not necessary. If, I, if someone who was to say, Ashadu Allah, grammatically it makes sense. But is the second Ashadu provided? Absolutely. That means it serves a purpose. What purpose does it serve? Remember our discussion from Repeating the word creates separation. So what Allah subhanahu what the Prophet Allah teaches us the shahada like this, the shahada where the ashadu is repeating, what that teaches us, what that tells us, is that believing in the Messenger of Allah is not just a side detail. It's given its own ashadu to let it stand alone as an independent, separate, important article of faith. That believing in the Messenger of Allah as believing in Muhammad as a Messenger of Allah is a very, very important part of our Iman. It's integral to our faith. It's not just some side detail. I believe in Allah. Okay. Well, yeah, then there's a little side issue of believing in Muhammad as a Messenger of Allah. If somebody got up here and said, Brother, I'm ready to take shahada. I want to accept Islam. And we call him up here and I start giving him the shahada. And when I get to the part of, and I bear witness that Muhammad is the messenger, the slave of the messenger of God, and he says, I'm not comfortable with that one. Would his shahada be complete? Would his acceptance of Islam be legitimate? Of course not. So believing the messenger, Muhammad as the messenger of Allah, is an important part of our faith. And that's why it's in his own to let it stand alone and be an independent article of faith. The second thing though, in terms of that, the first one, in the first statement we have Al, Ashadu, Al, La ilaha illallah. Then we have Ashadu, Al, Ilaha. We talk about this, which one is stronger, Al or Al? Al, Al is stronger. Why is a lighter one given to the first statement, but a stronger one given to the second statement? Why that imbalance? Anybody any thoughts? Alright? The next uh, and the last and the final note I want to 
provide here is the question of the Salahuddin asked. The Prophet is given two titles in this Tashahud. First, he's called the Nabi. Then he's called the Rasul. He's called Nabi and he's called Rasul. So the question is, what's the difference between the two? If the same man, is a Nabi and a Rasul, what's the difference between the two? So there's a huge discussion on the difference between Nabi and Rasul from a technical standpoint. This is often spoken about in books of Aqidah. But to the, the opinion that the majority of the scholars have is that the, the main difference between the Nabi and the Rasul is the Nabi is a prophet of God who comes to deliver the message of God and spread the word and invite people to Allah. But a Rasul is someone who comes with that same purpose but he is given a new code of law. Typically what we teach in Sunday school, you know like, oh, a Rasul has a book and a Nabi doesn't. That's no oversimplification. Not just a book. Because some prophets, some messengers, some Rasuls, they were given a new code of law, but not necessarily a kitab, like we know it. Right? So, but as long as a Rasul came with a new code of law, he's, he's a Rasul. And if a prophet came to any, a prophet could have some new teachings, some new uh, couple of issues here and there, but pretty much the bulk of the religion that he was preaching was based off of the previous code of law, then he's in a way. And a Rasul comes with a new code of law, a new system of living, alright, a new Sharia. Alright? So that's the primary difference between Nabi and Rasul. But linguistically, there's a very fascinating thing. Because you see, even the Prophet Muhammad in the Quran, some places he's referred to as Nabi, some places he's referred to as Rasul. And we know that the Quran is precise in his choice of word. Why is it referred to Nabi at some places and Rasul in other places? So when you take a survey of the Qur'an and you look at the Qur'an, remember Nabi means somebody who's written news that is relevant to people, or somebody who's not a higher status than people. Rasul is somebody who represents or delivers a message from the highest of authorities, Allah. Whenever the word Nabi is used in the Qur'an about the Prophet it's often talking about, it's emphasizing his interaction with people. Whatever that is the focus of the discourse, it uses the word Nabi. Surah Tahrim, Surah Tahrim, Surah number 66. It's talking about the Prophet's relationship with his wives. What does Allah call him? Ya Ayyuhan, Nabi. Alright? When the ayah at the end of Surah Al-Hazab is revealed, where the Prophet of Allah is being told to go talk to his wives, talk to his daughters, talk to the women of the believers, and tell them to cover themselves. So go and talk to them, explain it to them, tell them to cover themselves. Even though when the wives of the Prophet are addressed in Surah Al-Ahzab, or because it's talking about that marital relation, even when the wives of the Prophet are addressed in Surah Al-Ahzab, they're called Ya Nisa'an Nabi. They're not called Ya Nisa'an Rasul, Ya Nisa'an Nabi. But whenever the discourse in the Quran is focusing on how Muhammad Rasulullah is bringing a message and he represents the highest of authorities. And Allah is either holding him accountable or Allah is giving him the responsibility of preaching the message, he uses the word Rasul. Qul, say, 
Ya Ayyuhannas, O people, Inni Rasulullahi ilaykum jamiyah. I am the messenger of Allah, sent to all of you. Ya Ayyuhannasulullah, O messenger, Balligh ma'unzina ilaykum jamiyah. Deliver the message that has been revealed to you. Because if you don't do everything within your capacity, you haven't delivered the message. So whenever it's emphasizing his relationship with people, his interaction with people, Nabi is used. When it talks about when he's trying to represent the fact that he represents a higher authority, when that's the point of the message, then the word is used. So this is something very interesting about Quran and usage. Alright? So that concludes our study of the first Tashabu, Tashabu Love, and Ibn Masood. Go ahead and turn to me Isa Isa is classified as a Rasul. Now, the interesting thing about that, uh, over the summer I did a tafsir of Surah Jumani, and this issue came up. Isa Isa for the most part, uh, a lot of you know the, the laws that he instituted were from the Torah, were a continuation of the Torah. Nevertheless, it was enough renewal of the message and revival of even some of the most fundamental teachings that he classified as Alright, the second to show. If somebody enters Islam in America, do they have to be in Arabic? Today, they don't say it as long as they say it in English, that's the gist And even if you do make them recite in Arabic, make sure that you translate and make them repeat after you. Very important, because the main thing is they have to understand the stable of They can't just do a Qur'an and Sabbath and they don't understand what they're saying. In fact, when you we call it Qur'an and Sabbath, they're just reciting something, they don't know what's going on. So it's very important. Yes. How do you say you stop when the this style was stopped by you and shaking them by putting this like that? Was there something you wanted to say about it? No, it was just, it, it was just, an, uh, it shows us about how much care, how much intricacy, how much detail is put into preserving every little thing about the Prophet's lives. And that should be a motivating factor for the believer. A believer should be motivated by that. Like, subhanAllah, you know, the, the life of the Prophet is protected to this extent. Alright? And passed on to this extent. No human being's life, by the way, has ever been documented like the life of the Prophet's lives. Throughout history, no human being's life. It's amazing, it's fascinating, it's remarkable. The second Tashawud is narrated by Abdullah bin Abbas. This is the bin Abbas. One thing very interesting about the narration of this Tashawud is Abdullah bin Abbas says, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يعلمنا التشهد في يعلمنا التشهد كما يعلمنا السورة من القرآن. That the Prophet, the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم, would teach us that the shahud just like he would teach us the surah from the Quran. He taught us the shahud like he would teach us, like he taught us the surah from the Quran. What that means, two things. Number one, the fact that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم Emphasize the importance of memorizing the Tashawud like we memorize the Surah of the Quran. Second thing about that is, what that means is, you read, the Prophet taught us to read the Tashawud word for word, letter for letter, verbatim, as it was taught to us, just like we read the Quran. 
We don't make any changes in the Quran, do we? No, we don't. We read it as it is, as it was revealed. Similarly, we don't make changes in the Tashabut, read it as it was taught. Now, there are multiple variations, so that's fine. There's no variation to take, but there's no need to put any changes in it. Read it as it was taught. And number two, very important, memorizing. Memorizing is very important. So I'm going to read the Tashabut, and then we're only going to take a look at what is unique, what is different about this Tashabut. You have a toaster, which toasts, 
and you have an oven that bakes. Toaster, you have one appliance, and you have a second appliance, an oven. A toaster, a toast, and an oven that bakes. So you have two appliances for two separate functions. Until one day you go to the department store, and the light shines down from above, and you find a toaster oven. And your life is never been the same. Right? So you find a toaster oven. The end is removed from the middle. What does that mean? A toaster oven is how many appliances? One or two? It's one appliance. Does it still have two separate functions though? Yes. So it's one appliance with two separate functions. That's what removing the end from the middle does. Similarly, when we said التحياتو للاهي والصلواتو التحياتو للاهي والصلواتو والطيباتو Royal compliments are for Allah and prayers and the good comment. Alright, so these, all these separate things are all independently dedicated to Allah. In this tashawud, the Prophet was saying, At-tahiyyatu, mubarakatu, salawatu, tayyibah. That royal compliment, blessings, prayers, good conduct, all of it together is one item. So it's one item with these multiple facets, these multiple angles. It is all one item. And that one item is our existence. And our entire existence is dedicated to Allah. So it's still saying basically the same thing. But you see how I'm saying it in a different way? That's eloquence. That's balaf. That's the Prophet expressing the same idea, but in such another profound and beautiful manner. <coughs> now we move on to the next major difference, and that is. What is it, everybody? Salamu. What is it? Everyone's afraid. It's like, no, there's one more that hidden <laughs> Right? No, it's salamu. So the first, the shahud was as-salam. With the alif lam. What does alif lam mean in Arabic, everybody? Definite article. The. Right? This one is salamu. No definite article. It's like saying kitab. Al-kitab means the book. And kitabu, a book. In English, which one do we consider to be superior? Which one is more powerful? The book. Alright? In classical Arabic, <laughs> interestingly enough, in classical Arabic, one is not necessarily better than the other. They both, in Malaba, they both have their own unique feature. They both have their own benefits. Number one, if you put al on it, it means the ultimate peace and safety. Like Alhamdulillah, the ultimate praise. If you remove the alpha and you say salamu, what it does is it's atanabu. It creates diversity in the meaning. It means peace and safety. Like if I was to say the book, I'm talking about a one specific book. But if I say a book, it could be any book in this room, right? It could be the big book, the small book, the green book, the blue book. It could be any book. So when we say salamun, it means peace and safety from all angles, in all situations, of all types. Salamun, it opens up the scope and it broadens the scope and it makes it very diverse. So again, each one has its own significant impact. Salamun, it peace and safety from all angles, at all times, in all places, in all situations, in all circumstances, of all types. 
may it all be upon you, and Nabi, ayyuhal Nabi, O Prophet, wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu, and the mercy of Allah and His blessings. As-salamun alayna. May peace and safety again of all types, from all angles, and all places, at all times, in all situations. May it be upon us and upon the saints of Allah who are righteous. Ashhadu Allah. So far so good. Wa anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. Did something change, everybody? Second Rishab is not there. Didn't I just get there talking about how awesome it was at the first that the second Rishab was there? In the previous one? Oh, this one doesn't have a second Rishab, B level Rishab. Is that true? Of course not. Again, we're starting to see each one has its own beauty, its own impact, its own like, awesomeness. Alright? So, remember that same example I gave you about toaster oven, when you remove it from the middle, it actually merges it together. So in the first the first the second Ashadu was being said, why? To let the fact of believing in the Messenger, Muhammad as the Messenger, Allah stand on its own. Meaning giving it importance that this is a separate issue. This is very, very important. By removing the Ashadu, it's giving us the other perspective. That believing in Allah goes hand in hand with believing in Muhammad Just like that toaster oven that you bought, could you sit there and separate the toaster from the oven in that device? Of course not. You can't. It's built in that way. You can't separate. They're like, no, I'm tired of this. I don't know when I'm baking and I don't know when I'm toasting. I need to sit here, and we'll go get a, like, like a saw, we'll cut it in half, and we'll separate the toast from the other. <clears throat> that doesn't work that way. Do, do, do. That's it, the joy. You can't separate the two from each other. Similarly, believing in Allah and believing in Muhammad as a messenger of Allah go hand in hand. Because if you believe in Allah without believing in Muhammad as a messenger of Allah, who told you about Allah to begin with? How do you know about Allah? How do you know what to believe about Allah? How do you know what your relationship with Allah is supposed to be like? You don't know anything. The context of that entire relationship, that entire belief, comes from the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa And of course, obviously, why would you believe in somebody to be a messenger if you didn't believe in Allah to be angry? But they go hand in hand. Ashhadu wa la ilaha wa Muhammad Now, this next difference here is, why don't you guys tell me, wa anna Muhammad Rasulullah? What else is this different here? Abdu is not there. Didn't I just spend like five minutes talking about how awesome it was that it said Abdu? Again, that's not provided. Be level to show. Of course not. Alright? Again, each Tushahud has its own beauty. The first one said, amazing. This one doesn't say Abdu, slave. But again, in the first Tushahud, it said, Salah Din gave it to me. Which one is more respectful to Salah Din? 
Saying the pronoun or saying his name? His name. Name? Shows respect and regard for himself. So the first is Shahud. It's powerful because it's Abd. But it doesn't mention Allah by name. Abduhu. Wa Rasuluhu. This one doesn't mention Abd. So the second you think, oh, this is Shahud's missing some power. But then it says, Wa Anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. It doesn't refer to Allah by the pronoun, it refers to Allah by His name. And if simply saying another human being's name seems that much more impressive, whose name is more powerful and more impressive than the name of Allah? Nobody. I mean, just say it. Even when you say it, you feel the impact of Allah's name. That's what's called Allah's Jalal. Allah. It's powerful. So, وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدَ رَسُولُ So that was the second tashah. Let's keep rolling. Third tashah. Tashah narrated by Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhu. Alright, again I'm going to read the Arabic and then we'll talk about the differences here. At-tahiyyatu lillahi at-tahiyyatu lillahi as-salawatu at-tayyibat. As-salamu alayka ayyuhu al-nabiyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. As-salamu alayna wa ala ibadillahi al-salihi. Ash-hadu an la ilaha illa Allah. Wahdahu la sharika lahu. Wa ashadu an muhammad al-abduhu wa rasuluhu. What is different about this inshallah everybody? Okay, the walls are missing. Did we already talk about that? Yeah, so we know what that's about. Something else? Something else? Yeah. <laughs> Not everything is hidden, folks. It's okay. Have a little bit of faith. Have a little bit of trust. Come on. Alright? So, go ahead. Say it. Feel comfortable. The highlighting part. Everybody read it out loud. Wahdabu. That's the unique part of this show. That we haven't seen yet. Okay. Let's go ahead and understand what these words mean. Very simple, very straightforward. We'll just do the word analysis. Alright. So the first word is which is actually two words. So is the first word. Wahda comes to the same root as or wahid, which means one. Wahda means for something or someone to be unique, alone, individual. Alone, unique, individual. Alright? The second word is who. Who means he. Referring to? Allah. Unique is he. Alone is he. Singular is he. Individual is he. Meaning he is individual, unique, singular. La, this is a special law. What does a special law mean? Everybody, please tell me. Absolutely. No. Sharik. Y'all should remember from yesterday. What does Sharik mean, everybody? Partner, associate. Very good. Lahu is two words. The la means for, who means him. Referring to Allah. Wahdahu. Singular is he. La sharika lahu. There is absolutely, positively, no partner for him. He's got no partner in anything. All right. So that's it. Now let's move on to the next shabu. 
Page number 19. Both are correct. 
But why is Allah saying three days Surah Al-Imran and saying three nights of Surah Maryam? Huh. So you, we even have to learn to know what questions they even ask. What are we even looking for? And then we can go to the people of knowledge, like Allah tells us in instruction of us, we don't know, that's alright. There's something everybody doesn't know. And at that time, we go and ask somebody who does. But we've even got to get in the habit of what to look for. What question to write down. What question to go and make the sheikh's life miserable with. Those are the best community members, by the way. The ones that ask you questions, the ones that continue to learn. You know, sometimes you feel kind of ashamed, like, I'm sorry to keep bothering you. You know? No, no, no. Those are the people that we look forward to. Those are the people that we look forward to. I have some students and they're always emailing me you know, questions or text messaging me questions, personal students. And you know they always feel embarrassed, they're always apologizing. And I was like, no, no, I actually look forward to your message. It's better than the hundred other ridiculous text messages I get a day. Your message is actually the highlight of the day. One of, one of, one of my students who was the most, I, and I say this about him now, he was one of the most annoying people when it came to questions. Like every time I came to give, uh, he, he, I used to give khutbah and lead salawi at the masjid, I was about 20 minutes from my house. I was full-time imam there for a few years as well. So whenever I come to give khutbah, typically he'd be there for Jum'ah. That's how I first got to know him. After Jum'ah, he was waiting for me at the door. Because he had like 12 questions for me. Every single Friday. He got to the point where I'd walk out and I'd see him, I'd be like, three questions. That's it. Cut <laughs> you off after that. Right? And, but, but subhanAllah, like I'm saying that those are the folks that really, really, you know, um, that's time value spent. That's time well spent, right? And actually that's what ended up becoming my brother-in-law, actually married my sister. So that's, that's the value that you see in those people because they show that they have the zeal for knowledge and they have the desire to want to understand why this is the way it is, what exactly is going on. Because, you know, when you ask with the correct perspective and you ask the right questions, it increases them with their iman. So anyways, um, so this is the tashahud of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, the fourth tashahud, we're studying at the top of page number 19, if you have a hand out. I'm going to read, okay, so, yeah, that's right, I told you guys to look up the difference, and you guys told me that the word tayyibat and salawat have been switched around. In all the other tashahud, the first three, the word salawat comes before tayyibat, and this one, the word tayyibat comes before salawat. And I, I mean, and I went back and looked at this multiple times. This is the actual narration. And the scholars <coughs> discuss this point. Now, Tayyibat refers to the good conduct, the beautiful character. Salawat is the worship. The fact that the process is switching the two up is calling our attention to this by putting good conduct in front of worship. By putting good conduct in front of worship. To remind us of a very, very important lesson. And that is, and this addresses a very unfortunate reality within our community, within our communities today. And that is, we today have created a separation where there was never meant to be. We've created a dichotomy, a split within our own being, our own religion. And that is what we consider religiousness, spirituality, to just be worship and spirituality. Salah, Quran, Dikr, Tilawah, Deen. Business, not Deen. 
Personal conduct? How you deal with your family? What about your neighbors? That's all separate. Today you actually find a very unfortunate contradiction where somebody is considered to be very religious, devout. Right? You actually have that concept. But that same guy that you were standing in a Muslim prayer next to, that very, very pious, righteous person, right after Salah, when you go back into the marketplace and you're doing business with him, that guy will rip you off like nobody's business. He'll take the shirt off your back. He'll cheat you left and right. And even if you try to tell that person, you say, brother, what are you doing? We just pray together. Come on. Some decency. Come on. We're just Islam coming to this. They're like, brother, Islam in the masjid, business is business. <laughs> business is business. Don't bring their Islam to Business is business. Right? And, and, and subhanAllah, it's a very, very common predicament. It's a very, very common issue. That split that we've created in religion, where we don't consider that to be a part of the we don't consider that to impact our religion. So when the Prophet of Allah is mentioned Tayyibat conduct before worship, he's bringing our attention to the fact that that is a very, very important part of the And subhanAllah, we, we, we know this for a fact. Our beloved Messenger has told us about this. That who did the Prophet say Muflis, bankrupt? Who's bankrupt? The person who did a lot of worship, shows up on the Day of Judgment, mountain of the deeds, reward, a lot of worship, but there's a long line of people. He cursed that person. He hid that guy. He stole money from that person. What's going to happen to that person's good deeds? They'll be distributed. They'll be given out to those people to compensate for their loss. And then when these good deeds are done and there's still people waiting in line, what's going to happen? Their sins will be taken and thrown on him to lighten their load and burden his load. So you see, it's very, very important for us to understand that social conduct, the way we do business, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we deal with our families, the way we deal with our neighbors, the way we walk and we talk, is all a part of our deen. It all impacts us. And it's really a yachinah, a part of our spirituality. And, and so a lot of times people ask me the question, well, isn't Salah supposed to prevent you from engaging in bad things? How is it possible that somebody does pray regularly and they still have this bad, immoral, unethical behavior? The answer to that question is, if somebody is praying for a time and it's not taking them away, it's not solving the problem of other issues, other problems, other sins in his life, that means there's something missing in that person's prayer. That person's not praying properly. That's an empty prayer. Because otherwise it would awaken the God consciousness within him which would keep him honest in every aspect of his life. It's very, very important to remember this. It's extremely important that we remember this lesson. You know, Imam Muhammad, rahimahullah, a great scholar of our religion, he was a student of Imam Abu Hanifa and Imam Mali, rahimahullah, and he was a teacher of Shafi'i Ahmed Muhammad. Uh, Alright, so, uh, excuse me, Ahmed Muhammad. So he's a great scholar. He's a kind of like he was right in the mix of all these great, great people in that great generation. Imam Muhammad was a prolific author. Wrote, wrote many, many books, lectured on many topics. One time, one of his students says, "Sheikh, you know, you've written so much. You've written so much, so much that we benefit from. But just one request: 
You never wrote anything on spirituality, tazkiyah, purification of the heart and the soul. You never wrote a book about that. We learned that from you, but you never wrote something about that. <coughs> I guess I did. The students I shared with all due respect, you had it. I mean, I've read multiple times everything that you've written. I teach what you've written. You have it. I guess I have. The Sheikh, I must not know about this. Please tell me. What is the book? He tells him that the book that I've written on purification is called Kitabul Buyu. It's a book on the fiqh of business transactions. Ethical Islamic business transactions. That is my purification of the heart. Because if you can manage yourself properly in money, that's where everybody slips. As when the money gets the best of the best. But if you can conduct yourself properly with money, you can be honest and trustworthy, you've purified this. You're good to know. The Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa there's a hadith where the Prophet says, Al-Tajir al-Sadduq al-Amin. A businessman who is honest and trustworthy, ma'annabiteen wa siddiqeen wa shuhada wa sallam will be with the prophets and the righteous and the pious and the God-fearing and the martyrs. He'll be in that class, class of people. He'll be grouped with them. So it's very important that we remove this dichotomy. Remove this barrier from within our religion. We understand socially, financially, this is all part of our deen. It's a very, very important part of our deen. Alright? Okay, moving on to the next Peshawar. This is the fifth and final Tashabu This Tashabu is narrated by Umar al-Khattab Alright? At-Tahiyyatu Lillahi Al-Zakiyyatu Lillahi Al-Tayyibat As-Salamu Alayya Ayyuhat Nabiyu Wa Rahmatullahi Wa Barakatuhu As-Salamu Alayna Wa Ala Ibadullahi Salihin Ashhadu An La Ilaha Illa Allah Wa Ashhadu Anna Muhammadan Abduhu Wa Rasuluhu what is unique about this Tashabu? What is it, everybody? Oh, mashallah, genius. Alright. Azakiyat. Azakiyat. Now I do have an interesting question that's going to make you put your thinking cap on. Alright? The word zakiyat, is it an extra word or is it substituted for another word? Ah, it's a substitution. What's it substituting for? Salawat. Excellent. Now I'm going to show you something, one of the principles of analyzing different narrations, about the methodology of analyzing and understanding different narrations. I'm going to show you something from the methodology of doing so. When you have a word that is substituting for another word, an established word from, from established narrations, when you have a substitution, then the word that is the substitute is connected with the word that is substituted for, meaning they both have the similar meaning. A substitution needs to have the similar meaning for what it's substituted for. That's common sense, right? Like, you know, today's Sunday, football, right? So, if a quarterback gets injured, who do you put in to play? Who's the backup player? Who do you put in to substitute for the quarterback? Another quarterback. You don't put the kicker in. Go. Right? Or if you're Team Tebow, then you're a running back, basically. You know, masquerading as a quarterback. But, otherwise, a quarterback substitutes for a quarterback. If you're a teacher, a math teacher, if a math teacher can't come to class, what kind of a teacher
coaching, you kill all the nerves in the class. <laughs> right? So you send in a math teacher to substitute for a math teacher. That's how it works. Alright? So, similarly, the word zakiyat is substituting the word salawat. Salawat meant prayer, so that means zakiyat also means prayers. Boom. But now let's talk about the word zakiyat itself. The word zakiyat comes from the root, excuse me. It comes from the root word which means to internally purify, to be internally pure. That's why zakat, zakat al-mar. It's called that because when you give that two and a half percent of your savings, it internally purifies your wealth. From inside it purifies all of your wealth. That's why tazkiyatul nafs, tazkiyatul qalb. Purification of the soul, of the heart. Because it's eternal purification. Alright? So similarly, zakiyat means prayers that are offered with purity, internal purity. What do you think that's referring to? Prayers offered with internal purity. What's the internal purity referring to? Now we'll show something else. No, think about it guys. Another very important issue in all worship, particularly prayer. That's right. Sincerity, intention, to have a pure intention. Why are we praying? It's not always about how, what, but why. Why are you praying? We talked about it, remember in that social situation we talked about? Why are you praying? Are you praying? Because everybody's praying. Right? Or are you praying because you know you, you want to go and bow your head before your Lord? You want to go and worship your Creator. You want to go and show your appreciation and your love to your Master. So that's the question. Why you pray? So sincerity. So zakiyat means prayers that are offered with sincerity. Lila. They are also for Allah. So here, this is the first time in any of the shabbos that you see the word Lila mentioned twice. And very easy to understand, I'll use that same old example. Ahmad is my friend, Zayn is my friend, and Khalid. Now, who am I showing importance to? Ahmad and Zayn. Similarly, At-Tahiyatu Lillahi, Az-Zakiyatu Lillahi, Alright, so that's the difference in the section that makes. Alright, and the rest of the channel is of course same standard. Now, let me tell you something unique about this narration of the Shabbat. Something very fascinating I found that is a, a, a big area, a key area of interest for myself personally. The narration in which I found this Shabbat mentioned that Umar al Khattab, when he was Khalifa, he was Khalifa, he was Amir al Mu'minin, the leader of the believers. So he's the leader. And that leader is also the Imam. He's also the Khatib. So he's the one who gives the lecture of the sermon on Friday. So the narration mentions that Umar he was a leader of Alright? Now I'm going to ask you a few basic questions, a few common sense questions. Please answer them. So that you can follow the train of thought. Where is Umar al-Ilam giving khutbah? Medina. What masjid is it? Al-Masjid al Masjid of the Prophet, the prophetic mosque. Alright? The member that he's standing on is whose member? The majority of the audience, the community, the congregation listening to the khutbah who is giving khutbah to are who? Sahaba, the most amazing people that ever lived, the most amazing community, the most knowledgeable spiritual people of all time. Right? In spite of that, the narration says, Amr al-Ilam, who was a 
mentioned the tashahud, he would read the tashahud and then explain the meaning of the tashahud in his khutbah. Don't you think the Sahaba knew what the tashahud was? Right? But he's like, we just did an explanation of the tashahud. As-salamu that's what it means. Wa'ala ibadillah. important to be salih. He did this, this was his khutbah. And the reason why I find that so interesting, and there are narrations about even Abu Bakr would sometimes just take a dua, a supplication. He as well would sometimes take the tashawud and he would just give an explanation of the tashawud. You give an explanation of a dua, like explain the meaning of it. And the reason why I find that so fascinating is we learn from the best of people. Wouldn't any one of you, I know all due respect to any khatibs, I gave khutbah this past Friday, but wouldn't any one of you trade any khatib for Umar radiallahu If you could get Umar radiallahu as your khatib, wouldn't you pretty much just trade away your imam, your khatib, everybody? Take the board as well, just take it by everybody. I do that with the best Okay, alright? But Umar radiallahu can you imagine more amazing khatib than Umar radiallahu I'd never give khutbah ever again in my life. If I can listen to Umar radiallahu every Friday. Amazing. But yet, being as amazing as he is, look what he's addressing in this khutbah. Spirituality. Iman. He's explaining salah to them. He's connecting them with Allah. That's the purpose and the focus of the khutbah. It's meant to connect you with Allah. It's meant to connect you with Allah. It's meant to spiritually revive you, awaken you, nourish you, replenish you spiritually. That's the primary function and the role of the khutbah. Not, not, this, not anything else. That's why Allah SWT in the Qur'an, He says, إِذَا نُدِيَ لِسَلَاتِ مِنْ الْجُمْعَةِ When the call is made on the day of Friday, فَسَعَوْا إِلَى Rush to the remembrance of Allah. Jum'ah, the khutbah is called what? The remembrance of Allah. It doesn't say, فَسَعَوْا إِلَى Right? It doesn't say go and rush to today's news. It doesn't say that. It says the remembrance of Allah. Now yes, we have to be relevant in our khutbah. We should address situations people are dealing with. But what is the focus? Am I just getting up there to talk about politics for the sake of talking about politics? Or if there is some event going down that affects us as Muslims, but then that event should be spoken about in a light, in a way, on how it affects our deen. How am I supposed to understand it as a believer? How it impacts my relationship with Allah? How should I view this as a believer? That's justifiable. But even then, the majority and the bulk of the khutbahs are supposed to just connect you with Allah. That's the function of it. That's the purpose, that's the role of it. And it's a very important reality that we're just completely missing the goal of. You know the Prophet of Allah I mean, there is no better khatib than him, right? He taught us how to do khutbah. The Prophet of Allah it's actually in narrations, authentic narrations. One time the Prophet of Allah remember, started giving khutbah, and he starts by saying, and in his khutbah, he begins a khutbah, إِذَا السَّمَاءُ مُشَقَّتْ وَأَذِنَتْ لِرَبِّهَا وَحُقَّتْ وَإِذَا الْأَرْضُ مُدَّتْ وَأَلْقَتْ مَا فِيهَا وَتَخَلَّتْ وَأَذِنَتْ لِرَبِّهَا he just gets himself reading the Surah of the Quran. Think about when the sky will be ripped apart. What's going to happen with you at that time? 
Oh, human being, what's wrong with you? Why don't you connect with your Lord? Why don't you realize your Lord? He just reads the surah. Now, and he recites the surah, surah to the inshiqaq, aqim Subhanallah, that was his surah. Now, of course, we have to contextualize that. The Sahaba, they understood what those verses meant. So fine, explain those verses in today's khutbah, because people don't understand. But still, that's the khutbah. One time the Prophet ﷺ gets up on the paper, starts giving khutbah, Qaf, وَالْقُرْآنِ الْمَجِيدِ بَلَا عَجِيبٌ أَنْجَاءَهُمْ مُنْذِرٌ مِنْهُمْ وَقَالَ الْكَافِرُونَ هَذَا شَيْءٌ عَجِيبٌ أَإِذَا مِتْنَا وَكُنَّا تُرَابٌ وَعِذَانٌ So he gets up there and he starts reading Surah Al-Qaf. Read Surah Al-Qaf. And entire khutbah is the Surah Al-Qaf. Again, delivering the Word of God, the message from Allah, inspiring, reviving, motivating. That's what a khutbah is meant to be. You know, I, I recently recorded a series I'll give you all this information, inshallah, towards the end of the class today, where you can find some more resources if you want to continue to learn and continue to, inshallah, increase your knowledge of religion. Um, but I recently recorded a series that's been put out on our website where I found, uh, where I have the collection of the different khutbahs of Prophet gave throughout his life. And basically, where I've, sit, I've sat down taking each khutbah to Prophet and explained it. Translated and explained it. And what we can learn from it about giving khutbah. And you would not believe how amazing it is. The first khutbah the Prophet ever gave in the city of Medina. Muslims have been oppressed for 13 years. They haven't prayed Jummah in 13 years. Finally, they're in Medina, they're free, they're open, they can practice, they can do. So they're praying Salat al Jummah. It's a great moment. And you read that khutbah, he talks about connect with Allah. The Qur'an is guidance from Allah. Make sure that the Qur'an is present in all parts of your life. How the Qur'an can guide you in every facet of life. Another khutbah of the Prophet where he just says, what is the reality of this world versus the reality of the hereafter? Which is better and what should you choose? That's his point. It's amazing. It's such a different perspective. And, I, and uh, I had a personal experience that really woke me up. It was a wake-up call. I was traveling, actually, I was going to Southern California to teach this class, a meaningful prayer class. And um, I was renting a car at the airport. So when I reached the rental counter, there was a young man behind the counter, and he looked like he was daisy. Like he looked like he was from a We have like a radar for him. 